0: how are y'all doing today my name's donovan and i just wanted to welcome you all today um today i'll be talking a little bit like i said about my k-12 experience so one of my earliest memories of k-12 was immediately after uh, preschool. I had graduated from White Cone Head Start and I was ready for going on through the K-12 system. The thing about it was that since I didn't always have access to my mom and I was staying with my great grandmother and my aunts, it was really tough for me to find like the best school for me um, based on location by district and also just the rurality of where i was living and so sometimes when i was younger i would always wonder like where am i going to go to school again this year and so my first couple years out of preschool or head start like it would say grade kindergarten through second grade It was always different. I think I went through like five different schools in that small amount of time. I attended Park School in Holbrook. I attended Hewlett Elementary School in Holbrook. I attended Kinzichitni Day School. I attended Keymas Canyon Boarding School. I also attended um, Cedar Unified School District or the Jedito School District. And those were all experiences that I had on the reservation and or off the reservation. And so it was always hard for me to sort of figure out where I was going to be going to school because every every year something else was coming up in my life. And so... I always remember being on my grandma's homestead where all the rest of my grandmothers and their grandchildren were going to school, and they're they're my cousins, of course, and so we would all catch the bus really early in the morning, like 5.30, 6 uh, o'clock, year-round no matter what, and whether it rained or shine or snowed, uh, we always had to catch the bus. Um, We had a bus driver named Howard, um, kind of a distant relative of ours, and... He was so mean to us sometimes. <laughs> well, I considered him mean, you know. I think he was always a, a, a grumpy bus driver, but he was one of the individuals that was a little consistent in my under, in my younger years just because um, we were riding the bus so often. And um, I remember my grandma used to ask us to go bring out some coffee or, you know, day-old fried bread or some warm hot tortillas from breakfast that morning. So, that was always a good treat to have a consistent bus driver. And so we had a lot of stops, you know, from 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning until when class started at 7.30, 8 o'clock at, at the Cedar um, Elementary School District. And I always remember getting off and um, going to get breakfast and going down the hallways Um, the school was designed in a very like cyclical or like a circle and so uh, it was like, you would take a right down this long hall and it would be where kindergarten and first grade and second grade was and then you go up northward where like third, fourth and fifth and sixth would go and then on the back end of the building, they had like the seventh and eighth grade um, grades there. And the cafeteria was huge, it was on the opposite end of the school building and it was a large space um you get in line and you get like your day program meal and and there was also smaller buildings along the way back to the main building too and there's a lot of um interesting buildings on that campus because each of them has served their own purpose whether it was like for science or environmental stuff and then also the library which is one of the first places i Really got to know as a younger person. Um, so that's some of my memories that I had of being at the elementary school there in Jedito. And then um, Kinthachini Day School was very interesting because my mom was staying with somebody in Ganado area. And um, Kinthachini is just like on your way to White Cone, um, not to White Cone, um, it's on your way to Winder Rock, which is like the capital of the Navajo Nation. And Kinsuchini Day School was really a short, short, short time for me. I think I lasted maybe, uh, I would say, I would say I was at Kinsuchini Day School for like at least a week or two. And the reason being was there were so many mean people there, like so many mean people. I always remember being ostracized and being bullied. I always remember like just wanting to be alone on my own. Um, I would always be on the jungle gym, sort of far away from everyone as much as I could. And at this age too, I was constantly being called names and things I didn't really understand at the time. Um, And I always, you know really wanted to see my grandmother, my great-grandmother, because she was always someone that was, didn't even have to say much to me. She could just hold me or pat me, um, do some sort of like physical touch. And it was always so calming. And, and I knew like, even though I didn't speak Navajo by that time, she understood what was going on. And so um, after Cheatney, um I think two weeks or something like that. I don't think my mom could really take care of me at that time too because she was also dating, you know, new in our lives, my little sister's dad, and um, then I was told that I was be attending Kima's Canyon boarding school, and um, it was really interesting to switch from, like, sort of, like, BIA and, like, um, local Navajo government-run schools to this, like, mission-led school um, down in the canyon, Cumas Canyon, and it served a lot of Navajo and Hopi people, and I still remember that um, two of my other cousins were there with me, um, Deidre and Charmaine, and um, mind you, they, they stayed longer than I did, but <laughs> I think I only lasted there like at least three months or something like that um, until my aunt um, told my mom that she wanted to take me out of there. So what happened in Cayman's Canyon was it uh, there's some very like weird memories that I have there. One, of course, um, we are, you know, split between genders. So just the binary boys go here and the girls would go here. Um, and it was really hard for me because, like, even though my cousin sisters were there, uh, we couldn't see each other all the time. And when we did see each other, obviously, you know, she's older and the other one's younger than me. We're not going to hang out together. So it was interesting to sort of... Uh, be in that dynamic where, like, you know, you're longing to be close to your siblings, but then at the same time, like, you're kind of fending for yourselves and being on your own. But, you know, at the Kimis Canyon Boarding School, one of my fondest memories I have there, again, was where the boys were just so terrible to me. Uh, They used to call me all kinds of names. They used to bully me to the point where, like, I thought they would kill me. Um, And I was, like, only... Six, seven years old, Um, and some of like the weirdest memories I have at the Cumis Canyon boarding school is like you know one night. um... (laughs) It's such a weird memory. Um, One night, you know, I was sleeping, and I remember like the the night person was walking through and um, just making sure everyone was asleep or in their beds. And then after that person like left, it was kind of like cue for all the older boys to like get up now. And I remember um, the young man up above me say like, tonight's your night or something like that. And I didn't know what to think about it, but all of a sudden like all the boys surrounded the bunk bed that I was in and I remember one of them sitting on top of me, and just sort of talking all kinds of like gross stuff to me, and uh, and how much they hated me, and this and that, and they other boys had like held the blankets down on me so I couldn't move around or anything like that, and it was um, <laughs> a really interesting memory um, because I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, and I remember kind of leaving my body and like standing like 10 feet away from my body, watching these boys, uh, you know, sit on me and like make fun of me and poke me and like basically trying to make me cry and being really mean to me. And uh, I just remember watching, like, just watch, like, probably my first time I ever like, had this experience of, like, leaving my body and just watching and hoping that I don't have to go back to my body and that I just, it feels safer here is kind of, like, what I was experiencing. But eventually, you know, you come back down and you realize, like, you know, there's bruises on your body and you're terrified and you don't know how to tell anybody. You actually don't even trust the adults there anymore, too, because you feel like, you know the boys will be boys, and they're just sort of letting things let like, like let these young gentlemen like let their steam out any way they want to. So it was a really interesting memory that I have of the Cummins Canyon boarding school. I remember telling my mom and my aunt, and my mom, my aunt got really frustrated with my mom, like, why are you um, allowing Donovan to stay in this boarding school where they're being treated very badly? And there was even one incident too where we were having like a dance in front of everybody and the older gentleman um, came up behind me and like pulled my pants down in front of everybody. I had never been so embarrassed. Um, And that's what happened, like just incidences like that. You know, I I feel like a lot of young people talk about being bullied, they talk about being traumatized and terrorized when they are younger, but I always felt like, you know, I was the only one going through it. And I always felt like I was like the the, the, the laughing matter, the joke and someone that everyone could just sort of, you know, destroy. Um, and I kind of started to not value myself, I remember. Um, so, that's so, so that's kind of like my younger years as far as like being a part of that boarding school. And it wasn't like the best time of my life ever. Um, you know, and I used to always, cry when I got dropped off. And I remember one time too, um, I woke up and got dressed and put my shoes on and, um, there was like shampoo or something like they, they put shampoo in my shoes and I was just so upset and I was crying and like the doormates were like not caring at all. And it was, it was so, it was just tough. I just, I hated that experience all together. And that was Kimis Canyon Boarding School and I'll never ever like want to revisit that place again. It's just a disgusting place. Um, I don't think it's in, I don't think it's, I don't think it's running anymore, so thank goodness. Um, but my aunt took me out and she again re- re-entered me over at Toe, and I kind of like finished up um, third and fourth grade kind of there. And I, I, I did some of my year in in Holbrook too because I also had a lot of good friends from like kindergarten, first grade, and second grade in Holbrook that I grew up with, um, and it was really nice to sort of re-enter that community of friends I had there. Um, and I will say like third grade, fourth grade was probably the last time I ever really had you know a a guy friend. Um, because I remember, you know, in Holbrook there's a there's a playground like on the north side of um, Hewlett Elementary, and it's like a jungle gym slash like tire swings and stuff. And I remember playing with my friend um, Nathaniel and Levi, and all of a sudden, like these these groups of bo- this group of boys, um, and I still remember how they came up to us. They just kind of started standing there, and then um, and I just didn't take no note of it other than these words were bullies of mine and they hated me and that's all you know that they were there for was just to push me around and be mean to me and um so these boys they told um they told Nathaniel and they told Levi like why are you hanging out with that um with that with that fag is what basically what they said, um, and you know that he acts like a girl and blah blah blah, and then they just kind of like dropped their what they were doing with me. They kind of just stopped, looked at each other, and then they like left me and went to those to the group of guys, and and that was the last time I think I ever thought to myself like, I will never try and make friends again because you know, it it, it hurts already because you're. Um, don't have no one around you, and your home doesn't feel like it's your home, and um, and that's sort of that first time I vowed, like, I don't want to make friends, I don't want to get to nobody, nobody wants to know me, no one cares for me, um, I'm the only one going through this at school, my teachers don't believe me, um, <laughs> the, you know, common things are being told to me, like, you know, boys will be boys, you know, tough love, and all these weird messages around, like, just be strong and push through it, be resilient, um, stuff like that. And I didn't understand that, you know, I was like six, seven years old. And those are the type of things that really, I would like to say shattered my life because I didn't know much about my identity at that time. And I was just trying to fit in as much as possible. I was trying to be someone who was smart, someone who went above and beyond in their education um that's when like i sort to folk hyper focused on being more academically sound and um you know one of my one of my fondest memories is you know in fifth grade was like my teacher telling me that i have a lazy tongue and that you know you indians don't know how to speak english correctly um and they have a lazy tongue and, and i always remember thinking that I don't want to be that Indian. I don't want to be that person that they're describing. And I, you know, really kind of put my language away and put my culture aside. And I, from there, kind of just said like, well, I'm going to go through the system and just get through high school and be done with it. And this is only like fifth grade, I was already thinking like this. So that was really interesting um, to be there. So then 1999 is like the time we finished fifth grade and was heading on to sixth grade and I definitely had some fears um, because the bullies that I had um, were were there in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade and you know junior high, middle school uh, it's a whole different ball game, you know and so I remember entering sixth grade. Um, just just trying to stay under the radar. I didn't want to be seen. I didn't want to be picked out from the crowd. I didn't want any attention. I spent a lot of time in the library which, you know, I got heckled a lot for like why are you like such a bookworm? Why are you always reading? blah blah blah. Things like that. And I just remember thinking like this is like the only way I get to escape from reality. This is the only way I get to Um, see a world outside of like Holbrook, Arizona, outside of like White Cone, Arizona, and so I dived deep in literature, uh, anything, like even when it came to picture books too, like I always was looking at something international, some sort of national geographic, looking at um, different places in the world that I wanted to be and visit one day, Um, and I was really imaginative as far as wanting to get the hell out i think even by sixth grade and um so sixth grade uh you know you start to mix up you mix your classes with seventh and eighth graders because everyone has like a schedule and a curriculum that they have to complete by the time they enter high school and so my classes were starting to mix with other sixth and seventh graders and and then by the time i got through all that I think something that I really hated about the K-12 system is <laughs> physical education or PE. I hated that so much just because of the binary and um, being treated like, you know, I didn't belong in those spaces, it was really hard because it was required. and. I always wanted to argue and be like, "Why do I have to take these classes? They don't
1: do anything for me, and um, they're the most hurtful classes that I have to take." And I don't think anyone ever heard me. I even tried to like cry to my mom, and she <laughs> never really like had anything to say about it. And um, one of the one of the
0: um. Well, I have several stories, but like, you know, in seventh grade is when um I got the most scared because one day um, we weren't, we didn't have a teacher. We had a substitute and it was always on substitute days. I swear, like your bullies know, like they like, it's like blood in the water, like a shark. They're going to come after you. And so. Um, finally, like the tipping point happened, and um, I, you know, let a word slip. You know, it was the F word. And one of the older gentlemen got mad at me and basically came at me, like about to pummel me. And, um, you know, I just freaked out and started crying. And, like, I left. And um, the next day, I didn't want to get dressed, I didn't want to go into the, um, into the dressing room because they were waiting for me. They really were. Um, And you know, they were like ready to fight me. They were ready to uh, do something to me. And I remember peering into the bathroom and they were just standing there and they had these smirks on their faces and I just knew I was gonna die. (laughs) Uh, So I didn't get dressed I just sat out because when you don't dress up you can't participate and I was like very happy that day but I got left behind there and then the next the next day um, PE teacher came up to me like I heard what happened I also heard that you're not participating like why aren't you dressed up And I tried to bring it up to the individual, and they were just like, well, you know what, Um, you know, again, boys will be boys, and um, if something comes up like this, just please tell me, and it was just, like, so strange, like, I don't want to have to relive all those things constantly trying to tell the teacher like these people are bothering me these people are physically threatening me these people are verbally abusive and emotionally abusive toward me and 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 i think they know it and i think they're getting away with it all the time so it was such an interesting um time to experience you know and i and for me i think obviously because you're like pre-adolescence and you're starting to understand like changes in your body and it just kind of got really like intense like after sixth grade and then you know seventh grade was the final year that I had to take PE and I just did not like it at all I I hated every moment of it and you know I at this point like you, you start to have friends that start to like break apart into different cliques and different um, groups and I was one of those individuals that didn't need to be a part of any of that but I was pretty much at least known in every group like people from every group sort of said hi to me which is really nice but um, I just didn't find a place to belong and even if like I belong to a certain group I think I didn't want anything to do with it either because I didn't want to be othered or classified as, you know, um, someone that's weird or someone who definitely might identify um, gay or anything like that. I I already had strong messages that that was bad and that's something I don't wanna like uh, identify with because it would only make me a larger target uh, for the bullies and for the treatment I was already getting um, Yes. There were plenty of times, you know, that I always wanted to stay home. And um, I think sometimes, like, this is where I kind of understand depression, because um, I realized, like, there was a lot of outlets I didn't have. and, And I also you know, going back to that experience where I like left my body and didn't want to go in it, there was a lot of, there was a lot of times when I felt like those type of emotions and those type of feelings so strongly that I remember when I was like seven and even a little bit later, like around 10 or 11, um, I always, uh, (laughs) I, the ideation started, you know, about ending my life. The ideation started about um, wanting to relieve the pain, wanting to um, no longer be the subject of terror or abuse or anything like that. And, you know, that's where I started to get a lot of ideation. Um, I didn't have any really, any attempts other than this one time when I had a knife in my hand and I, and I, I, I really wanted to just grab that knife and shove it up inside my stomach and be like bleed out and just feel all the pain. Cause I felt like that, that physical pain would five, would five probably feel a lot better than all the other pain that I was experiencing. You know, when it came to PE in high school, you have to take P- oh, like half a credit in high school. So one semester of it. And it, unfortunately, you know, P.E. fell at the most weird time for me in my adolescence is like, you know, it was my freshman year. And um, it was a co-ed class and it was constantly uh, filled with like older, like junior, senior students. And again, the people who like terrorized me from K through 12 were there in that class too. And uh it was just a weird time but there was a an interesting pivoting point for me that year too is like my grandma was getting sick um the only person that i was able to um confide in and share my life in although we didn't speak the same language because obviously by this time i was strongly opposed to speaking anything other than english and um my grandmother was getting really sick on us and she was staying with us. And I would like always try and stay home to be with her, and because I knew you know it was getting close for her. Um, and I just always remember like that sort of being a focus for me. And in my freshman year of high school, is that my grandma's probably getting really sick and she's not going to be here with us much longer. And that's what happened, you know, like I had a really terrible semester, um, you know, still a lot of teasing in the locker rooms, a lot of like body shaming, a lot of, um, I would say accusations about me looking at other bodies or, um, you know, I don't know acting a certain way that might identify me as gay or something like that, and so I just always remember thinking like I don't want any of that, I don't care about that, I want to get the fuck out of here, and I don't want to be here in Arizona. Like that was like already my mindset, um, pretty much there, and um. So my grandmother's got really sick in the end of November, and she stayed with us, and like the early part of November, of um, December, I got to spend time with my grandmother. Um, and the cool thing about my grandmother was like, you know, she was always one of those people that like, gave what she could when she had it. And I remember one time before school, she asked me to come see her and she gave me like, <laughs> a little like, a little like package, like a little like plastic bag full of change and I, you know, and I, and I thought to myself at that time, like, what am, what am I going to do with this? But, like, that was the way she, that's the way she showed, like, gratitude. And, like, she was willing to help in some way. This was her gift for me. And she's just, like, go enjoy lunch. Buy something good for yourself. And I remember thinking, thank you so much. You just made my day, you know. And I always wanted to, like, rush home and be closer to her because I knew time with her was running out. Um and then like early December, I told my mom that I would watch my grandmother because she was having trouble with like her wheezing and her breathing. Um, I was coaching her with her, uh, with her. Um... <laughs> yes. Um, I was coaching her to use her inhaler all the time. And she also had the nebulizer machine. If you've heard one of those are just so, they're loud and it looks painful, but I would hook her up to it and I would tell her how to like breathe it in and hold it and like focus on, you know, kind of loosening up stuff in there. And um, it was kind of challenging because obviously I don't speak Navajo and um, I just remember trying to be there comfort as much as I could and make her comfortable. But I remember like walking her out of the bedroom and taking her to the living room and had her lay there and so then um, I took the Christmas tree box out and we started to put the tree up together and it was so adorable because she would just like tell me like point like where she wanted a certain ornament and where she wanted lights to be at. And that was like the last time I had like um, that like,
1: you know, that that time with my grandmother that I cherished the most is putting up a Christmas tree. Um, <laughs> And it's also the most painful moment,
0: too, because it's like it is the last activity I did with her. And it's also one of the only activities that sort of like gave me a different outlook on the way I wanted to celebrate Christmas in the future. Um, and I remember just like <laughs> turning the lights on and we're just like in awe of our own tree and putting the angel up and everything. And it was really nice. And then. As the, as the evening started to go on, like her wheezing started to get really bad. And I had to tell my mom, like I don't think she's um, breathing well anymore. I don't think she's gonna make it through um, here at home. We need to do something about it. And so um, we got her to the hospital, but my mom told me to stay. So she had me and my sister go to my aunt's house and she had us stay home. And then that night she called us saying that they have to fly my grandma out and that she's not doing very well. And um they flew out to Phoenix Indian Medical Center. And um I guess there, you know, I was staying at my aunt's house and I guess there like the whole week I was just worried about her and I was praying and I was like thinking good thoughts for her, like I want her to come home to me sooner. I don't want her in pain, things like that and um uh she she was suffering that whole time and unbeknownst to me is that you know my mom had all this, learned all this information about her is that my grandmother had been living with an aggressive cancer for about five years and that it had finally spread everywhere and not no one really knew that at all Um, I guess it was like a family hush hush type of thing and they and because she was older already that they didn't really want to do any treatments and stuff like that I think my grandma had opted out and just sort of like letting it run to course and um, so they were having family gatherings already down in Phoenix and kind of getting on top of the situation and and here I was going to school every day hating the gym hating Hating having to be their tease and picked on every day and finally Thursday in 2022 December uh, on a Thursday evening we got a call that uh, my mom told me that grandma had passed away and.
1: My world stopped, <laughs> and, and like photographs and like videos, all these, all these memories started coming through. And, But I, I don't know, I was, you know, I think it just felt like my mom died, you know, my mom died, but she was my great grandmother. And this person that was so important to me is gone. And And I thought to myself, like, how am I going to go back to school without her strength, without her support with me? And it was just, it was, you know, that first couple of weeks I was just sort of like numb and walking and so much depression. And I think for me too, what was so weird is that I didn't have friends to console me. I didn't have like family to console me. I had, like, religious family telling me, like, oh, she's good, God has her, she's saved, this and that, like, oh, but, <laughs> to me, I was like, that's bullshit. Um,
0: and, um, you know, that's kind of, like, how my freshman year sort of kicked off, too, it's, like, you know, this climatic place of, like, I was, getting bullied the most, and I was just really down low, and then I lost my grandmother, my great-grandmother, and, um, you know, and I think when you have your first loss, um, no one knows how to prepare you for that, and, uh, and, you know, there's not, there's not a lot of, like, there wasn't a lot of resources for me um, after I lost my grandmother, like for bereavement or understanding death, understanding like changes um, after death, things like that. Um, and the funeral, well, the funeral went by really quickly too. And I was able to attend some of like the week and some of the other uh, meetings leading up to her funeral. Um, and I remember... <laughs> conversation I had with my PE instructor, Miss Baldonado, and I was just like, yeah, my grandma passed away, and she's like, well, how old was she? She was like, you know, like, in her mid to late 80s, she's like, oh my gosh, like, she lived a fruitful life, like, you should be so happy she lived that long, and that you got to meet her, and all this stuff, and I remember thinking, like, what? Why would you say something like that to me, you know? And I was really angry. Um, <laughs> one was like, "Why is this white bitch telling me this?" And the other one was like, "How how can you minimize and um, discredit my emotions and my feelings and this connection I have with this person I lost? Uh, my the first real person I lost, someone that was so integral in my life that, you know, sort of helped me instill values, helped me be the person I am today." Um, so it was really interesting to be holding all these emotions when you're really sad, then you're like really happy for, you know, like the fact that your grandma, there's no longer suffering to the point where you're angry and you hate the world because, you know, your grandma's no longer there with you. And so I remember like going through all these emotions at that time. And then time, and then the time came for the funeral and, um, It was in Winslow, Arizona, where where she had the funeral, and um, I remember uh, getting in line to view the body.
1: They had an open casket ceremony for her,
0: and um, I waited kind of till the end to visit the body just because I've never been to a funeral. It's like my first time. I don't know what to do. Um, because there's so many taboos in my family about death and like what to do and what not to do, and um, but I went. In, I was in line to see my grandmother to view my grandmother's body, and um,
1: <laughs> she looked asleep, and she had this beautiful scarf on, and she had a really beautiful velvet top on, and she had this pouncing blanket on her waist. And she had the best get up ever, you know, like turquoise and silver and the the, the the cuffs and her rings and everything. And I actually wanted to be like, get up, like, come on, get up. And it was really strange because I thought to myself, like, this is not real. My grandma's asleep, you know. And um, <laughs> uh, I reached out to her hand, and I touched her hand, and it was cold. It was so cold. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's real. My like, grandma's not here. I remember thinking... And then I was just, I was done. I I, I just let go of her hand and I walked away. And, um, and I, and I think I thought to myself, like, there's nothing else I could experience that's this painful. So bring it on now. I think is what I kind of like had that, like, switch in my head. And, um, yeah, that was like my first loss and it's uh it's something that's still very much alive it's still very you know i feel like it's there almost every day in my life and uh, sometimes it repeats and i don't want it to but it, it's constantly taking place um uh, but I have a lot of great memories of my grandmother going out to the sheep with her and just these moments of, like, waking up and smelling coffee and the KTNN's on and there's some, like, squad dance music playing or there's some Yeba dance music playing um, and she's there laughing and conversing with her kids and all this in the beautiful, you know, Navajo
0: language. And, um, yeah, I think that was a really interesting experience to have is just to kind of like go through the loss of a really close relative. you you know, for me, uh, my great grandmother. And so the, yeah, the rest of high school was really strange because like, you know, you become rebellious and you become strong in your own way, you kind of figure out what your voice is and what your stances are in life. And I think after my great grandmother passed away, I just didn't want to deal with the bullshit no more. I think I figured out like why the hell am I being? Why the hell am I allowing people like these men to really um, say whatever they want to me? How am I? How how? Why am I allowing this um, treatment toward myself? And so, you know, I you know after my freshman year, I left Holbrook the Holbrook school district. And I asked my mom to send me over to Winslow school district where my, my cousins were. And, um, and when I went to Winslow, I, I still had the same bullies, like they somehow ended up there too. And, you know, it was the same exact system, same exact situation where I was still being sort of, um, uh, kind of identified as someone to be bullied or t- mistreated and being called all sort of terrible names based on uh, assumed sexuality and gender expression and things like that. And again, still definitely trying to fit in. And that's when I met um, some other gentlemen that I felt like were like myself who, but the thing about them, that like these people, these guys, they were um, unapologetic. They didn't give a shit. They (laughs) definitely were outside the mold. Like they loved volleyball. They loved to hang out with girls and, they were so awesome. I like just thought to myself, like why didn't I find these people a lot sooner? Um, and they were just great. and I think that was a really great time for me to sort of develop my, um, my my new perspective of the world, that there are gay men out there, there're native gay men out there, and that um, it's okay to be who we are. It's okay to be myself. And I think that's the first time internally, I realized like, this is what I will call myself as, you know, being gay. And this is not coming out, but... like This is not coming out, but, like, it was definitely a time when I realized, like, in myself, in my core, that I was not going to marry a woman. <laughs> that I was, probably wasn't going to have children. And that I didn't want to get married. Um, that I didn't want uh, to sort of have to live a life like what everyone else thinks that you should live your life like. And so, um, you know, my sophomore went by, my sophomore year went by really fast. I didn't really get a lot of um, bad treatment or anything like that. And I had, you know, a group of friends that were willing to back me up or be nice to me. Um, I also got introduced to heavy drinking at this point. I was um, experiencing some of my first blackouts, um, going out and partying and sneaking away to get drunk, really, really drunk to escape from my, my feelings and stuff. So that's kind of where that happened, that sort of behavior around drinking to cope, drinking to numb myself and drinking to um, escape and not be like on this plain field that we're in, you know, when we're sober and we're alert and awake. Um, and that's what I sort of start treat. Um, that's what I started to treat drinking as. Um, it was for me to get out of here. And I had a really good friend in high school, and we call him Tony. And um, you know, he was probably one of the only individuals that um, was interesting because, like, you know, in my younger years, he was a part of the group of other. Um, bandits of like LGBTQ people that I didn't realize they were until like later on and started to realize like, oh yeah, they are. Um, but he always asked like, you know, why were you like this and why did you act like that? We wanted you under our wings. We wanted to take care of you and then like you didn't want any of that. And remember, like I didn't want to associate with anything like that. I just wanted to be normal and not be seen and um and I told him that that was a reality of my life is like I just didn't want any more reasons to be a bullied and tortured and stuff like that and so I think he understood. And um, and then in the middle of my junior year, um, um, the in the wintertime, the heater at the residential school closed down and um, it was no longer functioning and we couldn't be there no longer. It wasn't safe for us because of how low the temps were dipping in the night. And so I would try to stay at Tony's house for at least two weeks. It was it was going okay until his mom was like, who is Donovan and where are they from and who are their parents? And finally, I guess she talked to her son, Tony, and said, like, I couldn't stay with them no more. And so um, it came to the point where they took me back to my mom's place. And then I just kind of introduced themselves. First time my mom meeting my best friend's mom. And you know, um, that's kind of how it went. Um, and then because I was missing school, I just decided to tell my mom that I was going to transfer back to Holbrook, where I hated it. <laughs> and I think my mom says a lot, was like, maybe it's different now. Maybe, you know, the people that were there just no longer care about this stuff no more. And I was like, okay, whatever. So I remember transferring back and, it was so nice because uh, some of my my grade school friends, you know, people I grew up with, K through twelve, you know, at that point, came up to me and hugged me and actually said that, you know, come welcome home and come welcome back. You're back to be a road runner, this and that, and that was really nice to actually get a, a have some sort of welcome back. And I did wasn't expecting that at all. I was just expecting like, oh my god, like that person's bad. Let's be mean to them again and. I remember one day, um, these two gentlemen um, like ran into me and they're like, "Oh, get out of here!" And they're like, "Oh, fuck, you know, this fag's back or something like that." And I remember turning around so quickly, like, "What the fuck did you say?" You know? <laughs> and I never was so like upfront like that with a bully before. And then they just kind of looked at me, kind of like stunned, like, "Wait, the the Donovan just like stand up for themselves and." They're like, oh, nothing, I think they just said something like that, and they just, like, walked off. And then that's when I kind of, like, that's when I was like, wait, fuck it. Like, I am not going to let anyone determine my life no more. And after that, I just focused so much on school. Like, at that point, like, I sort of ruined my GPA just a little bit, but I was like, I'm going to get out of here. And um, the summer of my junior year, um... I had the opportunity to go to Tucson to a really awesome like healthcare um, program that t- takes minority students to Ar- University of Arizona. And um, I had a really good time there. And that summer, I learned more about myself that I wanted to be in the city, I didn't wanna be in the rural area anymore. No I wasn't gonna go to college, and that maybe I might go to U of A. Um, I had a lot of great aspirations like there was just so much more energy and motivation and inspiration to do something new and I was excited and so that's what happened and in my junior my, my senior year I did everything you know I was involved in almost everything I could be involved with I applied for over 200 scholarships I got into the University of Minnesota Twin Cities campus for um, biological sciences like I was living my life and I really enjoyed that time, um, because I got to sort of celebrate, you know, all the pain and hardship that I experienced K through 12 and be able to look back at it without like regret or being bummed out other than having those real experiences that really still bring me to tears sometimes because it's like, why the hell do I have to deal with with that shit? Like, I'm just a child. Like, why would you do that to me? To, um... To this, to this point in my life where I was like, ah, the world is my oyster. I get to do whatever I want. I determined how I want to live my life. I'm going to get the hell out of here. Um, and it was, it was really nice to be able to graduate with that sort of mentality and, and the opportunity to know that, like, once I graduated, I would go to Oklahoma University and enjoy an eight-week program there and then head off to um, start my college experience. We'll see you next time. <laughs> yeah, how going yeah.